Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 49. Well, here we are at the end of November and just one week away from the first anniversary of my launching the Waste Not Want Not podcast. Sadly, I've not been shortlisted in the New Zealand podcast awards I entered, but hey, it was another great learning process which helped me reflect on the extraordinary work of the people I've interviewed in the past year who are using their gifts to do stuff that matters to them, all while making a difference to the world. The serendipity of events in this past week has been extraordinary, none more so than the timing of this week's guest Peter Russell from Eternity, who has created an innovative way to keep the enduring connection we have to the special people in our lives who have passed on. I had the dreaded phone call from my brother in the UK in the early hours of the morning telling me my mum had died peacefully in her sleep. Even more bizarre was the fact I'd been reading the top five regrets of the dying on the very day she passed. The top one being, do what lights you up and not what's expected of you, which just so happens to align with the essence of the philosophy Peter talks about in the interview. Then I came across this amazing quote from Dr. Zeus, which encourages us to make the most of life. It's, sometimes you'll never know the value of a moment until it's gone. But before I share our enlightening conversation, some great news about a kelp restoration program a previous guest of mine, Glenn Edney from Ocean Spirit, has launched into Dukaka Harbour. He describes it as a marine laboratory and education facility for propagation of kelp seedlings and other marine-focused regenerative activities. There'll be a public presentation on the 11th of December at 7 o'clock upstairs at the marina office in Tudakaka. And weather permitting, the first batch of kelplings will be placed at selected sites on the 12th of December around Phillip Island. There's a link in the show notes that you can check up on. More good news for ocean life, this time for sharks. The International Consortium on Combating Wildlife Crime are about to close their annual meeting with an historic agreement to include 54 shark species in the appendix for species that might become threatened with extinction if trade isn't closely controlled, which ultimately means the ocean's predators will now be closely monitored worldwide to manage their protection. And then there's some great news from another previous guest, Glenn Herod of Happy Cow Milk, who has managed to raise just under $260,000 with his crowdfunding appeal. There's still two days to go before it closes on the 27th at 7pm if you want to invest. Glenn is now moving to Auckland for a few months to work alongside retailers in the Hamilton and Auckland areas to trial their dispenser system. He's also calling for people who want to be part of the home delivery trials. I'll leave links in the show notes if you want to get involved. 
You may have heard me talk about the amazing work repair cafes around New Zealand do. One such thing was to submit a petition to the Environment Minister back in July to bring in regulations for goods to have repairing details as part of the package. Now Consumer New Zealand have joined the campaign and created a new petition because we are the only country in the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development without e-waste regulations. And with a shift in buying goods based on how long products will last and how repairable they are, it's hoped manufacturers and retailers will now be forced to lift their game. There's a link to the petition in the show notes. Realigning our actions to meet our needs requires an attitude of going with the flow and creating changes that serves people's needs. No decision or way of being should be set in stone unless you have a business like my guest this week, Peter Russell, who founded Returnity that actually encapsulates the cremated remains of loved ones. Welcome to the show, Peter. You have an extraordinary story of capturing the essence of someone's basically ashes and turning them into something that is tangible to keep forever in such a beautiful, beautiful way, don't you? Yes. So, Philippa, we're talking about the Returnity Stone, which is a world innovation, and it started here in New Zealand, in Christchurch, actually. We make these Returnity Stones out of pets or people's ashes. How did the idea actually get started? And when? How long ago? Okay, if we want to go right back, there's a wee story about when I was a wee lad and I'd gone out to the family farm, my grandfather's farm. He'd recently passed away and wanted to be cremated and he wanted to be dropped over the family farm from a crop duster. Right. And so it flew really low and loud and we watched and there was a bunch of us and there was a wee puff of dust and that was it. I thought, okay, well, that's cool. You know, as as a wee person, he's walking the farm now. About two months later, the farm was sold from under him and at that stage I guess that resonated because I thought he can't be taken now he can't be moved this is going to be someone else's farm and he's going to be walking around on someone else's farm and I thought what a shame they can't be moved and this is as maybe a 10 or 12 year old so that was the first bit the second one was an incident we had when I lived in Sydney our beautiful golden retriever Hogan passed away too soon and and we had him cremated and we thought look let's take him to his favorite place somewhere memorable to him and meaningful to us and so we took him down to the local park and there was this really neat big sort of boulder and we called it Hogan's Rock because we taught him to sit there and stay and then we'd whistle when we're a few hundred meters away and he comes to me and all our friends and family knew this was Hogan's Rock we thought perfect we'll take these ashes down and we'll dig a wee hole and put it underneath and so we did that and we were all quite happy with ourselves a couple of years later the kids and I went back to say hi and the blimmin' rock had gone. It was moved. It was a boulder. And not only had it been moved and we couldn't find it, but the council had built a toilet block right there. <laughs> and so I then remembered back to this whole business with my grandfather. Oh, gee, I wish we could have moved him. Yep. Yeah, but you can't do that with ashes. It started sort of fermenting in my mind at that stage. Look, the problem is the ashes. Since we've been cavemen and cremating our ancestors, we've never attended to anything but the ashes. The ashes are the issue. I wonder what you could do about that. So how long ago was this? That was about three or four years ago back in Sydney. So I left corporate life. I had one of those epiphany moments thinking, well, do you know what? Corporate's all fine and good, but you can't sell your job. 
and everyone's replaceable and you can knock yourself out. Here I am in my 50s thinking, no, there's got to be a better way. Look, there's that idea that's been rattling around in the back of my mind about returnity. It wasn't called returnity at that stage. That came later. That's an amalgamation of return for eternity. Really, it got started in earnest about this time last year. Are you a scientist or did you just put the feelers out for somebody who knew what to do and how to transform ashes to stone? No, I'm not a scientist. I'm a marketer, actually. So I knew how to manage an innovation project. I've done that with various other companies, including Fisher & Paykel, believe it or not. I'm no scientist. I didn't know what to do. But there's a really neat innovation agency called Callahan Innovation. They provide grants for startups for innovation projects. So I was lucky enough to be a recipient of one of their grants. Then I turned around and spent it with them, with their own scientists in, in Wellington. Cool. And, and I gave them the challenge and said, here are some ashes. They weren't people. They were pig's ashes, which was, I guess, the closest approximation to people. Please, can you solve for this? I think I would like it like this. That's how that began. Wow, fantastic. You started off just creating these stones for pets, didn't you? And then it evolved yes. into doing it for people. Yeah, there's a wee story behind that too. I thought, look, let's apply common sense to this. People aren't used to walking around holding other people's ashes. I don't know if you've ever had a good look at ashes, but... They're not a nice, fine, white powder like the movies. Right. There are some quite large pieces in there and because effectively it's your skeleton just broken up. That's all it is. Mm. Calcium carbonate, I think. So it's not nice to handle. We thought, look, the smarter way to get people used to this idea is start with pets. It's a softer way to market. Yeah. Yes, you can get your head around pets first and foremost, your lovely dog or your beautiful cat, rather than going straight in and saying, here's your mum. So so we've purposely made all our noise in the pet space to get people used to the idea and it's absolutely taken off and the vet community in this country has been terrific, very supportive and they love it. And do you know what? So the funeral director's community approached us and said, would you like to start providing these to us? We would like to resell these for you. So we've wow. basically gone live with people. Well, so it's the funeral directors for humans as opposed to, because I yes. guess there aren't funeral directors for pets, is there? It's because it's the vet gets the job of doing everything, doesn't it? That's right. Yeah. So I guess if your dear pet has passed away or is not feeling well, it's the vets that you deal with. And so they handle all that. Behind the vets, there are specialised pet crematories. There's about oh. ooh, 20 in this country. Very good. And they service a cluster of vets each. It's an incredibly sensitive subject, whether you're talking people or pets, but the actual funeral directors or the cremation people, you have a direct link to them. And so they will pass the ashes on to you to, to manage. And because it is so sensitive, it's very hands-on and handcrafted each one so that animal or human is honoured. Yes, uh, and, and that's an important point you've noted there, Philippa. Each one of these is absolutely individually made and handcrafted. There's no massive piece of machinery which is punching these things out. Yeah, you, yeah. you just can't. And it wouldn't be right either, nor would it be right. So the idea is that we've got skilled artisans making each one of these individually with a lot of care and attention. They're all handled individually, so there's nothing ever mixed up. And we've got job cards that follow each one of these around. 
And the important thing is too, they come out quite differently. No two are ever the same. Quite amazing. Different hues, colors, sometimes little wee imperfections, which we say it's the character of the person or the animal coming through. Awesome. So I love the fact that, because I was thinking for myself as well, you know, if you've got a number of children, I mean, ultimately, your children might not want it, but you could always put the provision in there. So you can divide your ashes up or one of the ideas that came forward, you can take people like with your grandfather to a sacred place that was important to them and leave the stone there. And if you should sell it, you could always pick it up or you have the choice to pick it up and take it with you and take it somewhere else. I know there was a video of a lady who had a stone for her mother and took her to Fiji because she'd never been there. What are the problems with taking a stone to a different country? You know, because ultimately you're dealing with ashes. I guess it's a lot easier than taking ashes. You don't need the permission. That's a very good point. Part of the reason that this was invented in the first place was because we didn't like the handling of ashes. There had to be a smarter way to hold ashes, to move them, to store them. And so one thing led to the next, and we came up with the Raternity Shaped, which is a flattened sphere or ellipsoid. They are designed so that you can travel with them. They're quite hardy. This can be dropped, actually, from about 1.8 metres. Some might get a dent, some may get a wee hairline fracture, but they're pretty tough and hardy. But importantly, they're not a body and they're not ashes. And so therefore, you can travel with them. You just need to declare them and allow them to go through the scanner so they can check that they're all kosher. There's no hollow piece inside, you know. No drugs. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it's solid. It is what it says it's meant to be. Mum turns into a drug smuggler, yeah. (laughs) Well, I've had more than one of my WAG friends saying, Surely there's another reason behind this business. No, it is what it is. One of our founding philosophies is put them somewhere meaningful. It might not be a graveyard or a cemetery at all. It might be, for example, meaningful to me is up in the port hills of Christchurch. I want to be divided into two. I'd like one up there. So when my family are are around, they know roughly I'm in this area. And the other half I'd like in Sydney Harbour. Drop me in Sydney Harbour, please, because that's where I used to like to go kayaking. I've got two sons over there. They can commune with me. And I believe I can be in two places at once. Awesome. I love it. I guess the purity of it as well is just going to blend in with the environment. Is it sensitive to the environment? Does it disintegrate? What kind of things affect it? And how long can you leave it there? Can you move it at a later date? Yes. So first of all, if placed outside, we would say, look, don't leave them beside a trail where someone could pick them up. Be perhaps a bit more discreet about it and bury them. Once buried, they will last several years, up to a decade, but they are eventually meant to disintegrate and reintegrate the with the earth. That's the point. So there's no resins or petrochemicals or any nasties in there. This is not about poisoning the earth. It's about a gentle reintegration with the earth. Right, lovely. Sympathetic reintegration with the earth too. But when you place these things outdoors, you have to seek the landholder's permission. And so just a little bit of Googling. Can I pop that there? Can I put it in this waterway or not? It's tapu to Maori beliefs, of course, placing on waterway. So, you know, you need to be smart about where you put these things. Yeah. I'd also like that you can not only divide yourself to be in two places, but between two, three, four people as well. Because, I mean, my family's the other side of the world in England. And... (laughs) They may or may not want a part of me. That's entirely their choice. But the option's there if you want to, which is lovely. Well, 
Now, it's really interesting you say that we've already had a number of clients now, some still living and preparing for their eventual demise, placing orders now for several stones for themselves to be given to their children and nephews and nieces. We've heard another one where a woman is also planning. She wants upwards of 20 Wow. To go around the world, all the places that she couldn't get to or were meaningful to her. Now, we think that's neat. And so do you know what's starting to develop out of this? It's a concept of a bucket list. Yep. A bucket list once you've passed. All the places that you couldn't get to or that were super meaningful, please pop me there. It also tells a story about somebody as well, because they may or may not had the conversations about why a place was important to them. So it's leaving a story behind about yourself, where you've been, where you wanted to, why you could, why you couldn't, and that kind of thing. That sounds lovely. Yeah, you're bang on. Here's another story too. I call it the story of toot toot. This is the other end of the spectrum about being placed somewhere that's not meaningful to you. So our stepfather passed away a number of years ago and mum had him cremated and put at the local memorial gardens. And mum said, oh, look, I'll go there all the time and I'll say hi to him and it'll be lovely. He's, he's not that far away. Well, after a few years, we said, mum, when was the last time you saw His name was Hamish. We were, well, I see Hamish when I drive by and I sort of go toot toot. And I thought at that stage, uh, there we go. There's another example. We end up somewhere that's not particularly meaningful to us. No one goes there. And are we all reduced to just a toot toot as someone drives past? Is that what's in stock for us? Why can't we be put somewhere meaningful to us? I have a friend who kept her mother's ashes for five, six years because her and her brothers could not agree on a place. That would have been another beautiful thing because they could have had a piece of her in their own gardens or chosen not to. So if people are doing this in preparation for their own death and say they order four stones and actually only three are wanted, you can adjust it accordingly? Yes, yes, we can. Ashes are actually called cremains. We know how much cremains weigh, so therefore we can select the size of stone according to how many are needed on that particular amount. Right through to little ones, which we call eternity pebbles, or uh, could be two large ones because one each. When we were first getting started in the pet space, we had quite a few customers asking for two pets to go into one stone because they were great mates. Right. This sort of stuff. Yeah. Or, or the counter was a couple were going their own ways. Unfortunately, they'd split, but they wanted two smaller stones from their beloved dog because, well, we want a piece each. So you can combine them. You can take them apart. We've even had inquiries from people who want to be integrated with their pets when they pass. They love them so much. Can you say somebody's passed and they have a wish to be with their partner, can you disintegrate the person who's been immortalising the stone to begin with and integrate the new pet or person? Yes, yes, we can. In fact, oh. it's interesting you ask that question. We've had two of those questions in the last week. Wow. Yes, we would like to go ahead and have this stone made, but when it's my time, my wish is that we are integrated into one larger stone. And we said, we see no reason why not. They will break down the same. Yep. It's the same components, same, same. So, yes, we can. Obviously, the listeners can't see, but the beauty of them, I think they're very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Much better than having an urn sat on the mantelpiece, isn't it? Because that could yeah. be knocked yeah. over. 
We like to think a sophisticated and restrained way of going about it these days. And your point is quite right. People don't really have the urn on a mantelpiece. In fact, most people don't have mantelpieces these days. So a large box or an urn, you just don't see them anymore. We came across some very interesting statistics, knowing that it's about one in four or one in five households have got people's remains in an urn or a box at the back of a cupboard. Yeah, my girlfriend has in the wardrobe. Lots of people do We know that from two sources, actually. One from Australia was Victorian bushfire insurance claims. One in four homes had claimed for lost people's ashes. And a very similar statistic came out of California, where the consumer research came out of the same number. So isn't that interesting? So what you were saying before is quite true. Lots of people have relatives cremated but can't agree or have a great idea to do X, Y, or Z and never do it. And so they just get relegated to the back of a cupboard. Unbelievable. What a shame. I know, I know. Yeah. And it's just like out of sight, out of mind, forgotten about. And But what do you do with a box of ashes? And now you have the answer, which is fantastic. It's interesting you talk about the shape. This is about the size of a grapefruit, which has been compressed a bit. So from the side, it's an ellipse. It's a lovely shape. It's very smooth. And we noticed initially when we started handing these as samples to female vet staff, they would all hold them up near their chest. Wow. We didn't ask anyone to do this. Mm. And that's from the top of the country all, all the way to the bottom. Everyone tends to hold them up by the chest and manipulate them. Now, you would never do that with a bag of ashes, would you? And no. and people don't find it creepy. This is actually someone. Yeah. This is your mum, and you can yeah. talk to them. And when you're missing them, you can go and have a chat. Gosh, some people are so attached to their, to their cats and their dogs. They've got them on their bedside tables. We've heard of some smaller ones being put under their seat in their cars, in their handbags, in their glove boxes. The human need to keep the part of one's close is quite strong, Absolutely. much stronger than I ever anticipated. It's that yeah. connection, isn't it? Yes. Oh, huge. Particularly for those, well, I say particularly for those on their own, but it has an extra special place for those on their own or people far away as well. Our mum passed away about a year and a bit ago, and, and she, she was placed at the same memorial gardens as our stepfather. And I sometimes think, oh, it's a bit of a hassle going all the way there. I really wish I could walk out to our rose garden yep. and just have a chat to mum. And then if I move, she comes with us. Keep them near. My father passed three and a half years ago, and he lives in England, and I'm in, obviously in New Zealand, and always remember him growing these amazing roses as a child. He just would spend hours with these. I think when I was there, just before he passed, there was a chap had a jewellery shop, had a crystals and things, and he would compress the ashes in their crystals. But there wasn't time for me to organise all this because he hadn't died at the time. I didn't know he was going to, and then I had to fly home. So it was just all out of my hands. I wish I had, and it would have been beautiful to be able to have the ashes made into stone. So I have something and I could put it on a rose bed for him and he'd be near me as well. Yeah. Be yummy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice ideas. There are lots of lovely ideas out there. So that one you mentioned, you can be compressed into a diamond. They don't use much. It's about a thumbnail amount. Or you can be placed as a swirl through a glass orb. You can be put into tattoo ink and wow. ink on someone. 
Yeah, you can be put into fireworks and shot up <laughs> into the heavens. You can be put into vinyl to be made into your favorite record. So oh, there are goodness. all sorts of things. It's amazing. Until you start learning about a subject, so the diversity is just huge, isn't it? Could it you, is, it is. Could you make these small enough that people could wear them as a pendant or something? The uh, smallest one is called the pebble, and ooh, it would be a little bit smaller than a flattened golf ball, maybe a touch big to mm. wear as a pendant. But we provide a little weepy carry pouch so they can be popped into your pocket and you've got someone close by all the time. So your dog, obviously, and the people in your life have been very important. Has there been any other person that has influenced you at all or a book? Ooh. On the flip side, here I am in my 50s starting a startup. A lot of my friends are now easing back out of their businesses and corporate careers, and I'm jumping in and ramping it up. A lot of my friends are saying, you're completely mad. But if you love what you do, you don't mind at all, do you? That's the first thing. Second thing is, it's never too late. And it keeps your gray matter absolutely going and you're current and you're vibrant. And then there was something, oh, it might have been my father once said. He said, don't be that old duffer, that old 80-year-old bloke lying in bed going, oh, I should have, I could have, and that could have been me. Don't be that person. Be the person who said, yeah, I'm giving this a red hot go. It may not have worked, but I did it. That's the crux of the book that I'm writing and the course I'm doing, because the number one regret of the dying is they wish they'd had the courage to be true to themselves as opposed to doing things that were expected of them. And as you say, you'll have no regrets. And the impetus for the podcast is for people to do what fills them up and to take stock of where they're putting their energy and how it's actually fulfilling them. So you've ticked off all those boxes and I think it's absolutely crucial, particularly now. And I think more people are thinking of it after the lockdown and everything, because it's given them time to get off the treadmill and actually think about what's important to them. And as you say, it really doesn't matter if it goes well or not. At least you won't regret not doing it. That's right. It's interesting. When I was still in the corporate space and working in marketing innovation, it quickly became apparent that New Zealanders have got a lot of very good ideas. We're extremely resourceful and I think punch well above our weight in that space. What we do lack, though, is that ability, I think at the moment, although it's getting much better, to hustle. It means get cracking, make it happen. Don't let people say no, or if you get a no, figure a way around it. Some of the best startups are simply because the founders have got on boots and all, and there is no way backing out. You can't just say, oh, I don't like this anymore. I'm just going to go and get another job again. No, you must make this work. And it's called fortitude and stickability and resilience. I think a lot of young ones just don't have it, particularly resilience. They'd like to think, well, going is getting a bit hard, we'll just back out. I think a lot of people want things on the plate and they don't know how to attack things. I read a story the other day of a couple of young boys in, I think it was Christchurch, a couple of mates. And one of their friends, it was about university. So once it gets to the end of the year, a lot of them have got their stuff in places where they're renting. So they go away for the summer holidays and come back again. And there's all the problems of the stuff getting damaged. And so they decided that they would buy this container and a few of their friends rented space in this container. And now it's gone nationwide. They didn't have any money, had no know-how or anything. 
but they had the balls to do it and they took it by the balls and ran with it. And I think how ingenious, you know? I know we're getting off subject a bit, but I, I love this stuff too. I saw a brilliant TED talk the other day about building resilient children. And the bottom line was encourage your children to act like entrepreneurs. Don't give them pocket money. Make them figure out ways to pay for stuff. And if they really, really want it, they can reach into their own pockets and pay for this stuff. Teach them to be little entrepreneurs. That's how they learn the art of negotiation, resilience, getting back up when they've had a bad result. All stuff we need for all growing up. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have um, a quote that perhaps inspires you or reflects that aspect of things? No, I don't have a quote per se, but I do have another analogy. Everyone thinks Richard Branson was successful right from the outset. No, he wasn't. He failed at a number of things. He got up and he did it again and he got up and did it again until he finally jagged the thing that was going to take him forward. So he's had lots and lots of setbacks and most of those guys do. Elon Musk, there's another one. A lot of people think Elon Musk started Tesla. No, he didn't. Other people did. He came along afterwards. He's just the face to it. And he's had his fair shares of things that worked and things that didn't. But so Eternity is one of those. It's working. I've done my homework. And importantly, we listen to our clients. We listen to the trade and we listen to people's feedback. We're really lucky. We're getting lovely feedback. And, you know, this is the first product I've ever worked on. I've worked on some pretty neat stuff, including wine. It's <laughs> the first product I've ever worked on that people genuinely love. It comes through with all the reviews, all of them unasked for. They're independent. Yeah, people love these things because they loved their pets and they loved their partners and their mum. Going back to Richard Branson, it's the philosophy of screw it, just do it, which actually inspired me as well. And I think the essence of the feedback that you're getting is love. And we need a whole lot more of that nowadays. It makes it rewarding because we are doing something that fills up up and it's it's just goes round and round in cycles and the love just gets bigger and more and more rewarding. It's just amazing. Love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, I tell you what, I think COVID has helped reframe a lot of people's ways of viewing the world and, the, and their relationship with their families and their relationship with their work and where they want to be and their priorities in life. It's interesting, another TED talk, they said, what are the main things that contribute to a successful new business a startup? And they said, it'll probably surprise you. It's not the idea. It's not how you enact the idea or execute the idea. It's not the people. It's not even the money. It's timing. Yes. It's timing. Yeah. We rely heavily upon couriers. We send a shipping kit to say you to pick up the ashes. You send it back via couriers. It's all tracked and traced. And, you know, the courier movements in most countries are excellent these days. Sorry, New Zealand is very good. I don't think this business would have worked two years or prior to COVID It made our career systems get that much better. And I don't think the community would have the dependency or the trust on our career systems prior to COVID. And I don't think this business would have worked. This whole concept wouldn't have worked as well, if at all, prior to COVID. It's all timing. And it's also the very fact that what you're doing is creating a connection. And I think that is what a lot of people are craving and it's become more and more important. And so, as you say, the timing of it has been brilliant for you. If you continue that thread for a moment, for the last two years, we've been fed a daily diet of death statistics. So it becomes normalized and we start talking around the dining room table and it becomes more normalized. It's not icky. It's not icky. It's very sad, but 
we start to talk with each other. Well, what would you do? Where would you go? Where do you want to be? And so, again, that timing has come to play with fraternity too because it's it's right for the times. Absolutely. And we're not putting people on the ground anymore. We just don't. 76% of us are going to be cremated. Well, it's taking up this space, really, isn't it, ultimately? Well, it's very expensive, but uh, I think there was a study too. If the annual death rate would require the size all butted up, we would need the land size of Singapore every single year to bury the people who are passing away every year. Wow. Mm. It must be hard to manage all those emotions and things. So what do you do when you find yourself in a funk or feeling low? How do you energize yourself? Oh, that's a really good one. First of all, a steady diet of wine after 12 p.m. and coffee before 12 p.m. So (laughs) as long as you religiously adhere to that rule set, that helps the creativity too, I find. I find also things like this attract interesting people. And so you are energized by really good people around you who feel the same way, who feel the energy of the business and the concept. It's really nice. This is an important love category. And so I'm very lucky that it it just naturally attracts people who are interested and interesting. Mm. We're basically made of balls of energy. And so that energy, wherever it is, you are managing it. And because you have the essence of the person with you. So not only the live ones that you're dealing with in the process, but the energy of the person that has passed as well is with you, although it's intangible. So yeah, brilliant. Love it. Oh, thank you. That's that's a nice observation. And you're quite right. And do you know what? Even this place that that we have, it's an old antique shop. And uh, we thought, God, how on earth do you decorate for for something like this? What Mm -hmm. does the front of house look like? So we've designed it like someone's lounge. A sitting room, really. And there's a great big long wall of old Singer sewing machines. There's about 40 of them. It's got nothing to do with the business, but it kind of does. We, we call it our nothing and everything wall. Nothing because it, it's got nothing to do with the business, but everything because it's a nod towards handmade artisanal values. But the point is, it's a warming, relaxing place to come into. It doesn't feel funereal. It's not dark. It's not somber. Mm, it's not sad. Yeah. It's more celebration of life and, and just a all-around pleasant place to be. And we try and make the entire environment like this too. All our communications, nothing's too particularly somber, but we're not being irreverent either. I and, think and it's be- important that we do address it because it has been a taboo subject for so very long. None of us are going to get away with it because we're all going to die. And wouldn't it be lovely to have those meaningful conversations that don't upset people? Because it tends to be right at the end of life when we know something's going to happen or something has happened suddenly that we've got to manage it in a very short space of time, which is incredibly stressful. It's interesting you say that because here we are with our thoughts to the future and saying, okay, we have the vessel. Here is the physical embodiment of that person. What would natural extensions to our business look like? And if there is that concept, which you're seeing loud and clear now, which is planning for one's eventual passing, how could you augment that? Is there something in the digital realm, something complementary to this? I'm starting to leave messages and planning for it. I'd like my stone to be put there. And when I'm there, this message is going to play. And if you want to look me up, here I am. There's a number of, without going in too deep, you're giving the game away. We're working on fleshing that out. Beautiful. Capturing the whole essence of the person. So if if I was your fairy godmother and could grant you one wish in the world, what would it be and why? 
Here's one. I miss my mum. Right. Okay. And I'd love her to be alive to see this because in, in a way she informed this. And who are She's looking down and she's seeing this and she's proud of her son. That would be my one wish. Awesome. But in essence, if you think about it, you're doing it for other people. So it's, yeah. it's amazing what transpires, isn't it? We're not necessarily conscious of our thoughts or the significance of symbols and things, just like Hogan's rock. And here you are having captured the essence of somebody in a stone. I just think it's beautiful. Well done, Peter. You've done an amazing job. And it's lovely to actually see you, although the listeners can't, to have a man with such a big heart managing something that is incredibly sensitive. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Philippa. Look, um, it's been a real delight to talk with you and just share some experiences. And I hope in a small way, anyone listening, it may not be about fraternity at all, but it's just about go give it a go, follow it through and stick with it. And you can do something meaningful. Love so, Bless yeah. you. Thanks for your time, Peter. Take care. Bless you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. I just love the spirit of Peter's approach to life and how he's infused it into creating such a heart-centred business. You may be interested to know Richard Branson has just released a memoir called Finding My Virginity, in which his screw-it-just-do-it philosophy, irrepressible spirit, ingenious vision, relentless drive and resilience is sprinkled throughout the pages. Next week, I'm talking to Helen Callanan, a beautiful soul who's the founder of Preparing the Way, Australia and New Zealand's leading end-of-life education and doula training organisation. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your suggestions for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at philippaross.com. So, until next week... Dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.